The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, and today we've got a bunch of topics on the plate. We're going to start out by talking about the Breath of Fire series, and most especially the release of Breath of Fire 3 on the PSP, a game that I don't believe ever came out here before that. I mean, Breath of Fire 3 did make it, but not the PSP version. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Final Fantasy IX on iOS, which should be exciting. It's nice to see Final Fantasy IX making a bit of a comeback. And then we're going to finish up with an RPG mailbag question. Joining me today is our newly hired associate editor. I don't know, is that your official title? News writer, writer? Um, Nadia Oxford, Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Just call me new staffer who can finally afford to eat. Woohoo! Yeah, it's a fun thing. Um, we've talked about this before, but we were freelancing at kind of the same time. You got into it a little bit before me. And yeah. I remember you used to post uh, tips for freelancing on the on Talking Time, which is Jeremy's message board. Oh, yeah, I remember um, that. And you used to terrify me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was like, oh, man, I want to freelance. And you're like, here's how you can freelance and maybe eat. And maybe eat, yeah, basically. Suggestions. Don't just limit yourself to gaming, right? Like technical journal stuff, because it pays. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it does. I can say that much for it. As it turns out, the love of the game is not enough to put food on the table. No, you can't eat game cartridges. I've tried. Yes, yeah, so when they say, yeah, we'll totally pay you in games, maybe mm. not the best if yeah. um, you need to put food on the table and pay rent. Yeah, exactly. Especially since they pay with game codes now, and those definitely don't fill your stomach. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You can't even sell them back. But Nadia, uh, I'm having you on the show because you've been writing about this a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm told that you know a lot about Breath of Fire, which is, believe it or not, a game that I've never played before. I do know quite a bit about Breath of Fire. Um, I've finished two several times. Uh, I've played one. I haven't finished it. Uh, I've played three several times, finished it several times. Uh, four is one that I have not played very much because, strangely enough, it gives me motion sickness. Something- motion sickness? How does an RPG give you motion sickness? <laughs> that is the question. I mean, the worst, well, put it this way, the worst game I've ever gotten motion sickness from was a Harvest Moon game. So you never know what's going to do it to you. But something about the way the screen turns, I don't know. My stomach doesn't like it. I'll give it another Wait, try. What was about Harvest Moon that gave you motion sickness? Uh, it was one of the 3D games. I think it was uh, Wonderful Life, the GameCube one. Oh. Um, and something about the way the background scrolled a lot, like in conjunction with the foreground, it just, my stomach just rolled right over. I don't know wow. what even caused it. But, you know, I can play like, Bioshock, no problem. Hey, most Nintendo games by Nintendo don't give me motion sickness. I think they do something to really, you know, fight against that. But uh, yeah, every day is a surprise for me. Did you play Portal? No, I cannot. Absolutely not. Okay, I would not recommend that one, maybe. Because <laughs> yeah. that would give you motion sickness. Gave me motion yeah. sickness. No, cannot even look at that. And it's too bad because it's a great game. It's hilarious, too. Absolutely. So Breath of Fire, can you start by kind of like, what's the main conceit of the game? Um, and maybe a little bit of history as well. Uh, well, 
the first game is kind of interesting in regards to the uh, North American release because I believe Squaresoft published it, but Capcom made it. So you kind of had this quote-unquote Squaresoft game where Sean Lee made a cameo. Um, quote-unquote, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Square Enix handled the, uh, the, the localization. I think maybe even Ted Woolsey did that one. Um, but I actually didn't play the original Breath of Fire until I got it on Virtual Console recently. Um, it's very... The games, barring uh, 5, of course, which is a whole other category on its own, the games are very um, similar to Final Fantasy, like, you know, traditional Final Fantasy, where you have, you know, turn-based system, you have um, enemies on one side, good guys on the other. Uh, I suppose one of the main things that separates Breath of Fire from its competitors is that in most of the games you can turn into a dragon, or at least the uh, the hero Ryu can, hence his name. So that's kind of an appealing thing if you're a nerd like me and you like dragons, especially in Breath of Fire 3 where you find dragon genes and you mix them up and come up with these crazy combinations of, God, you could be everything from this tiny little adorable slug dragon to this enormous world-ending Tiamat. So that's the sort of thing that I just love, even though I know and I acknowledge the Breath of Fire series, especially 2 and 3, are really flawed, but I can't resist them. So... My main recollection of Breath of Fire is that it had a lot of advertisements in old retro game magazines back in the mm-hmm. day. Um, and it was basically like a comic book, oh, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it has dialogue without uh, without irony. Arg, one false move and we're history. Toast, end of story. Game over. You think this is just is a just game? just a game? God, that was so <laughs> awful. And the hilarious thing about those those comic book ads. First of all, I forget who they were drawn by specifically, but it is actually someone who's quite prominent in the industry, or was. Um, but a friend of mine, who's also a huge Breath of Fire fan, she was saying how she went to a game store and she saw, like, the Breath of Fire 2 guide for it, and it had, like, all this Japanese art. And she's like, who are these characters? Because, you know, you have Ryu, who's this little fishy blonde boy, and, like, Bo, who's got these big puppy dog eyes, literally. And, of course, we're all familiar with the box art and the magazine art, which is what it is. They do a pretty good job of explaining the premise. An ancient clan with the power to transform into fearful monsters stands poised to destroy itself or a goddess will grant their every wish. Our hero, One hero must find the six keys to banish her forever. His dangerous quest is called Breath of Fire. Yeah, that should, pretty much sums up the first game. <laughs> should he attack with a band of eight valiant warriors or should he pull up his asbestos underwear? Yeah, That's God. a thing. <laughs> and set forth alone, knowing his next step may be the last. Will our hero survive? Only you hold the answer. Breath of Fire, a red-hot 12-meg extravaganza from Squaresoft. It was red-hot and 12 megs. 12 megs, oh my god, now that's technology right there. I just, I can't even fathom how big that size is. I mean, Street Fighter Two had 16 megs, it just didn't get any bigger than that. God, I think uh, Final Fantasy VI was 32 I remember Super Metroid was 24. That's right, and that was a big deal at the time. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, you can't, you just can't get any bigger than 24. I mean, sh- can you imagine? Uh, it was like when I, I was playing PC games at that time, and I was like, 30 megs, man, god, I don't think my hard drive can handle that. <laughs> god knows mine couldn't at a 46. So, Breath of Fire, uh, which one's your favorite? Is it Breath of Fire 2? No, actually, it would be 3. Uh, oh, it would be 3. Okay. 
I actually think I would like Breath of Fire 2 a lot more if uh, it got an official translation that made sense. Because mm. the thing that was really fascinating to me about Breath of Fire 2 is that it came out after Nintendo eased off on censorship. I guess that's when the ESRB was founded. So, of course, Nintendo was like, no religious references in games whatsoever. But all of a sudden, I was playing this RPG about killing God. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> where am I, where have I gone? Man, that's hardcore. And even going back to it now, like, there's this one subplot where uh, the one of the game's characters, Rand, who's this big armadillo guy, he's amazing, uh, his mother uh, worships one of these, like, smaller local deities, and uh, all of a sudden he's hearing about how she supposedly sold her farmland to build a church to St. Eva, who's, like, you know, the big evil god. And he's like, wait a minute, this would never happen, this is really suspicious. And really, it was a very interesting plot point, but the translation was so bad with, like, people literally calling each other's gods dumb. And... <laughs> <laughs> And when you think about it, that's religion in a nutshell. People pushing each other in a dirt field saying, my god's not dumb, your god is dumb. But it just didn't really work in a video game context. I really wish someone would retranslate it. Uh, of course, there are other problems with 2 as well, like random encounter encounters are insane, the final dungeon is terrible, the dragon system is also terrible, it's very boring compared to the other games because you just summon dragons, you don't really turn into them. So 3 is definitely my favorite. Um, has a lot of charm to it, even though... It also has problems with random encounters. Uh, translation's a lot better, at least. It's not perfect. Saying that the dialogue literally has uh, characters saying that each other's god are dumb yeah. <laughs> makes me think of Revenge of the Sith, where Anakin's going, well, I, for one, think the Jedi are evil. Yes, <laughs> it was exactly it. It was a really, like, super on-point dialogue, stripping yeah. away any subtext or subtlety or really anything. But that was 16-bit video games. Yeah, you don't expect that much out of a 16-bit video game. So I'm ashamed to say that I missed out on Breath of Fire, but a lot of that was to do with the fact that I did not have a Super Nintendo at the time. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got a Super Nintendo in 1999, um, I became really obsessed with Final Fantasy, but I didn't really go back and investigate the Breath of Fire series would you say that it's worth picking up if you missed it the first time? Does it hold up? One I found I got kind of bored with pretty quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I played through quite a bit of it because of nostalgia. Um, now, when you say, like, the old games, do you mean two? Do you mean three, four, all of them? Um, uh, let's just say one for now. You, so one you got pretty bored with pretty quick. One I got pretty bored with. Two is... Two has its moments, and it has a fantastic soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Um... The interesting thing about the Breath of Fire games, though, is that you can jump in at any point, and the story, even though the story has certain elements that that are in common, um, they're all very much their own separate experience. Uh, but I wouldn't bother with one. Um, maybe two. Definitely give three a try. I hear four is fantastic, so by all means give that a try, just because my weak-ass stomach can't handle it doesn't mean yours can't. <laughs> and five, of course, is the wild child of the series. Um, the Wild Child. Yeah. Five was very, very interesting. Um, I played quite a bit of it, but admittedly, and I will be honest, I just got intimidated towards the middle of it. Because it is just, especially like with art, with, with the whole reason I love Breath of Fire is because it's a tr traditional RPG series that has a couple of its own cool ideas that it throws in there, and then Breath of Fire 5 just turns it all completely upside down. And 
I can see why some people didn't find that appealing, put it that way. So, like, it was a matter of death, or it was just super confusing and intimidating? Uh, is, as I recall, it's been a long time since I played it, admittedly, but as I recall, death, you learn through death. So it's not like you're punished so much for dying, but you do get set back a bit. Um, but really, I just, it's one of those games where you, you play it and you say to yourself, am I, what am I doing wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Even though you're getting along, <laughs> you, you just feel like you're playing it wrong, even though you're okay. It gives you anxiety. So what was the battle system like uh, across the Breath of Fire series? Um, I mean, it was turn-based RPG, but, and I guess you had the dragon genes in uh, Breath of Fire 3, but it did do anything particularly special? Uh, other than the, the dragon transformation, it's all very much like, you know, fight, defend, uh, mm. magic. Um, traditional JRPG. Oh, very much traditional JRPG. Um, the dragon gene system, that was all reused jurisdiction, obviously. And uh, you basically, once you turn into a dragon, uh, you can turn back into a human if you want. But using being in dragon form, at least in Breath of Fire 3, absorbs all your AP, which is basically your MP. Um, it's, uh, kind of, kind of inconvenient for regular fights. You really want to save it for boss fights, but man, they look cool. So Breath of Fire 3, uh, seems to be your favorite one. Yeah. Probably worth checking out, um, uh, on the Vita. I would definitely say so. Um, do be prepared though, because there's a lot of crazy, stupid subquests that you, that are mandatory. It's got quite an encounter rate. It's a bit slow because there's a lot of load times, um, and that's just not a problem with the PSP version. It's also just the game in general. But it, one thing I mentioned on US Gamer is that the graphics, you know, it's just from a bygone era. The, those sprites and how expressive they are and how well rendered they are. You just don't see that anymore, even in modern games where they try to emulate the style. Something about the standard definition just... You'll never see that again. I was just going to say the character designs are a hoot, too. Like, I love the characters, like, especially Gar, who's this huge gargoyle guy he's a dragon hunter so he's immune to fire he's just he's pretty amazing so i'm confused uh is it available as a ps1 classic as well it, i got really confused at first too but what it is is basically it's the psp release mm -hmm. um and that was i think it hit europe in 2005 2006 as well as japan and that wasn't in north america for a long time but it is the psp version of the game and it is playable on the PSP. That's what I'm playing it on right now. But not as a PS1 classic. No, it is not a PS1 classic. Well, that's a shame, because that might be the optimal way to play it. Yeah. As far as I know, it's not. Uh, they haven't released, the, haven't released it as a PS1 classic. So by releasing it as a PSP game, this is kind of your first opportunity to be able to actually play Breath of Fire 3, short of hunting down the old PlayStation game, um, and a PS2. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, not the easiest thing in the world, because you have to, well, I mean, first of all, find the game, and a PS2, and a set of RGB cables um, that can work well with an HD TV. And I have that, but maybe that's a lot of commitment for a middle-of-the-road JRPG from the late 90s. Yeah, I think so. Um Especially, I don't know how, I don't know what kind of price Breath of Fire 1, sorry, Breath of Fire 3 fetches on eBay these days. I do know the cover art was the most boring thing in the universe. It's just basically like a picture of a fire or something really lame like that. It was back when Sony was really paranoid about promoting anything that wasn't a 3D game. 
No. So yes. it's it so basically got the same treatment as like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. The bad old days. Oh god, yeah. I was reading Simon Parkin's review of Breath of Fire 3 over on Eurogamer uh-huh. when um, word hit that it was actually going to be coming out um, as a PSP game. Uh-huh. Uh, he was pretty harsh on the loading times. Yeah, which, they're, not, they're not great. Which is unfortunate. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, it's definitely a game you want to play if you're in a mellow mood. <laughs> that way. A mellow mood. Yeah. Do you find that loading times really wreck an, ex- uh, an RPG experience for you? I don't think so. Uh, not for mm. me. Um, because, frankly, one of the worst is Final Fantasy VII, and I've played that game so many times. <laughs> so it's uh, I, I kind of consider it part of the nostalgic experience, as it were. I think nine had much worse loading times than seven. Nine is one I haven't played as much as seven. Okay. Well, nine has, like... I just remember that you would go into a battle... They would do the 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 swoosh oh, yeah, to the show swoosh. that you're going into a battle, and then you would wait a long time for that battle to load with the, mm-hmm. the camera panning all over the place, um, <laughs> showing you what you're up against. Exactly. So I I wasn't a huge fan of that. And then also when Final Fantasy five and six came out as part of the anniversary collection back in two thousand. Yeah. It uh, was kind of ruined by the the loading times. I mean, it was really bad. Yeah, uh, I don't remember what it was on. Final Fantasy Chronicles, I think. Uh, Chrono Trigger, the PS release of that. That was so terrible. I, the loading times, I couldn't even get past the, the first forest. I just, I was disgusted. <sighs> and and I'm a very it. patient person. And you know what was sad was that these were the, for a lot of RPG fans back in the you know, early 2000s, late 90s, this was kind of the first opportunity to get into these 16-bit RPGs that maybe yeah. they missed out on the first time because they were like, so many people got into Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. but And uh, then they were like, oh, what are the rest of the games? What is this Final Fantasy VI and this Final Fantasy V and Chrono Trigger? And then these really, like, shoddy ports came out. It was too bad. Yeah, but at least it had that, like, at least, uh, I think it was... Uh I can't remember which collection had six on it, but it had those crazy uh, CGI scenes and everything. Those were kind of neat. Those were cool. Yeah. And people were like, oh, well, that's pretty rad. And yeah. also it had the swoosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but the swoosh, swoosh, like, only partly disguised the loading times, and also mm-hmm. the action was really slow. Yes. That is not to, like, rag on Breath of Fire three too much i'm just kind of leery of loading times so uh breath of fire three isn't quite as bad as the games we just talked about at least in my opinion okay and it helps that it's a digital game so yes at least uh, so much of the psp's problems were in the fact that a a stupid umd drive drained battery like nobody's oh, business like crazy yeah and the other problem was that it resulted in some crazy long load times a lot of the time it was just yeah. not fun no, I'm not noticing, like, from what I've played of uh, Breath of Fire 3 so far on my PSP, I am not noticing a huge problem. Uh, saving is nearly instantaneous, which is great, because in the original game, uh, you had to wait a long time while to access a memory card, blah, 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 blah. But, uh, no, I'm I'm not having a major problem. I understand maybe others are, but... Uh, maybe now living... you can play it on PlayStation TV. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> I should probably get myself one of those. You can see pixels the size of skyscrapers. <laughs> Just what I want. 
But more importantly, for those people who really enjoy a good RPG on their PSP, or uh, sorry, on their Vita, or PSP if they want, I guess, I think it's also available just as a straight up download a PSP game. Yeah, that's what I have. Um, yeah, like, it's just another option, and more options are good. Yes, absolutely. That might sound like a little trite, but Honestly, I think... like I said on, on US Gamer, if you like classic JRPGs, by all means, give it a try. Uh, you can even wait until it's on sale, because I'm sure that'll happen eventually. They have some crazy sales on the PlayStation Store. Alright, so going back to loading times, let's talk a little bit about Final Fantasy IX on iOS. Yes. Uh, I'll be honest, I never thought that I would see that game on iOS. Uh, it's one of the only games, uh, unlike seven and eight, Final Fantasy VII and Eight, and never got a PC port. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem like it would be as easily portable as the first two games in the series, or when I say first two PlayStation games yeah. in the series. And then also, uh, 9 just isn't as well-known as Final Fantasy VII or even Eight. Like, it... Yeah, this kind of, that always struck me as kind of weird. I mean, to be honest, I haven't played very much of it, but the only reason why is because um, I seem to recall I bought my copy when I was down south in North Carolina... I brought it back to Canada before I started playing it, and stupid me, I didn't check the discs, and they were all scratched up to hell. Oh, no. So That's... I played for, like, a few hours in it, kept stuttering, and I said, oh, God, I'm an idiot. It was a cult favorite. It so became a cult favorite. Yeah. I, I feel like part of the problem with Final Fantasy IX was that it came out in 2000, Mm-hmm. Right at the same time as the PlayStation 2 in North America. Yeah, that's a big problem right there. And people were like, oh, it looks super good on the PS2 because the PS- PS2 would upscale it and everything. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people had already moved on to mm-hmm. some extent. And then, of course, it didn't look like anything like Final Fantasy VII or Eight. Yeah, it was very... It was, it's weird how it was meant to be a throwback sort of to the older Final Fantasies, but for a lot of North Americans, that, that wasn't Final Fantasy. No, like, exactly. If you permit me to get kind of nerdy. Sure. Uh, but, I mean, I do host an RPG podcast, <laughs> and I'm sitting here talking to you about Final Fantasy, and I get paid to do this. Uh-huh. So maybe I'm a professional nerd anyway. But it reminds me of when Gundam Wing came out here in oh, the U.S. Yeah. And that it everybody decided that this is what Gundam actually is, right? Uh-huh. It's Gundam Wing, which yeah. means that you have these Bishonen characters who you can pair up with female characters and maybe have some wonderful gay fanfics yeah and that's gundam and then when namco bandai tried to release the original 1979 (laughs) version uh with a terrible dub i might add Uh didn't go over so well with the uh with the audience over here in the u.s yeah so when square enix decided oh okay so you like the final fantasy 7 and 8 with the with you know the cyberpunk kind of stylings and the the swords and guns and sorcery meets high technology mm-hmm. uh it was a bit jarring to go back to final fantasy 9 for a lot of people yeah. especially since the characters were so heavily stylized they had that weird look to them like they they were taking the 16 bit sprites and turning them into like actual characters yeah 
Yeah. Um, and then also it didn't look as good as Final Fantasy VIII because it had loading time issues. Yeah. And it kind of didn't have that sh- the same slickness and sharpness as it were. No. It, uh, people were like, Square Enix was trying to appease the longtime fans mm-hmm. who had been turned off by a lot of the streamlining of 7 and 8. So they were like, okay, we're going to put in four characters just like the original game. Yeah. And that was fine. Don't get me wrong, but the engine clearly wasn't up to it. Yes. <laughs> Poor little PlayStation engine. It tried its best. So I've talked about Final Fantasy IX in the past. Uh-huh. Um, I think its single strongest suit is its writing. And we talked about it in the podcast yesterday. Uh, I love the story in the game. I've even come around to the end, which at the time I thought was kind of silly because I was like, who is this chaos guy? Why is he coming out Mm -hmm. of nowhere? But that's fine because it's like, well, now it's like, fine, whatever. Uh, This is so Final Fantasy. Like, this makes total sense to me. (laughs) Oh, that reminds me. I should totally do a podcast about bosses. Like, RPG bosses. Oh, man, I'd love to be in on that. I'd love to talk about that. So, like, just mental note, like... Listeners, um, if I don't do an RPG bot uh, boss podcast at some point, start like just bugging me. Yes, and and make sure that I'm in on it too. I look forward to spending like the like at least fifteen twenty minutes ranting about the final boss in Mass Effect Two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but anyway, um, I, I digress. Yeah, chaos is a recurring element in Final Fantasy, and it wasn't super well integrated, just like the, the crystals weren't integrated. Uh-huh. Because so much of Final Fantasy IX's marketing was the return of the crystals, yeah. which meant absolutely nothing. Nothing. <laughs> means nothing. To most American fans were like, crystals, what? God, even Final Fantasy VI didn't go in on the crystals. It was Magicite that they talked about. But they didn't care. Like, Square Enix didn't care because they were marketing it for the Japanese audience. Yeah. And there's obviously plenty of nostalgia among Japan. Uh, I know that Hironobu Sakaguchi said that Final Fantasy IX is his favorite. Oh, has he? I've never heard that. Yes, that is his favorite because, well, it was, if I recall correctly, the last Final Fantasy that he was heavily involved in. Oh, that would be the case, yeah. There was a definite changing of the guard, circa 10. It was also Nobuo Uematsu's final um, soundtrack that he did by himself. Um, he mm-hmm. had a collaborator for Final Fantasy X. So it was definitely like end of an era for him. And I think he has a lot of warm feelings. Yeah. My feeling at the time was, wow, man, they're really churning out these Final Fantasy games. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they they really were back then. When I, I think actually they announced uh, like 8, 9, and 10 at the same time. They said, we're going to be doing three Final Fantasies like, next. Yep. And I was like, holy crap. And um, no, they even announced like 10 and 11. Yeah, that's right. No, they they had plans from the start. Maybe even twelve. Oh god! Because I remember like going to like Final Fantasy. Was it Final Fantasy dot net back oh, in the day? Back in the day, and yes. reading like here here's like the schedule going forward. There's going to be nine in two thousand, and then ten in two thousand one, and eleven in two thousand two, which is going to be an MMO. And I was like, grr, MMO, grr, grr. <laughs> no, that wrong. And then twelve was supposed to be like. 2003, 2004, uh, didn't work out that way nope. for a lot of reasons. But, but there was definitely like a, it was almost like an assembly line. But yes. the games that came out, they were really good. Like Sakaguchi's team, they they, they were pros. Yeah, they were. Um, I 
personally, like I said, like I haven't played much of Nine, but it is coming to Steam. Um, I'd actually love to try it on my phone, except as I mentioned on US Gamer, the you gotta need a, a 5S or better, first of all, if you're playing on mm. iOS, which I have. Uh, and you need like 4 gigs of space, and I have a 16 gig phone like an idiot. <laughs> so mm. I, I'm not downloading that anytime soon. Do you have a 5? I have a 5. Okay, I had a 5 yes. before. Uh, maybe it's time to upgrade. <laughs> I think it but should, I know I think it can to be tough. Um, I'm yeah. like, I'm like a phone elitist now because I bought a 6s, mm-hmm. and I have. Um, it's like a holy crap! It's like a uh, 55 gig phone. Nice. So I've got like 35 gigs still. So uh-huh. it's not a big deal for me to get these games anymore, and they will run really well. But yeah. I don't know, Nadia. I don't think that I could play a full-on RPG like Final Fantasy IX on my phone. Yeah, you know what? Some RPGs are better suited for mobile than others. Um, like which ones? Actually, I just wrote about one. Uh, Ease Chronicles 2 is just came out today. Um, mm-hmm. Ease. Y-S. <laughs> so is it the original Ease? Is yes. Is it the original Ease 2? Oh god! The, the, the problem is with there's like literally an eSport <laughs> on every platform. The, I think it, it really it's like all over the place. But the pro- the point is the point is it's a good game, and it yeah. works for mobile because of course you're running into the enemies instead of like hacking and slashing at them. Mm-hmm. So that's one less button to worry about. And it's just uh, if you're talking about a remake of a game that's like of an RPG that's like millions of years old, you can't go wrong. Uh, that easily. Whereas Final Fantasy IX, you really got to navigate like 3D environments and whatnot. But if you're talking about like, you know, top down, you know, four direction stuff, it, that, that stuff kind of works well on mobile. The best RPG I ever played on the iOS wasn't exactly a full featured RPG. Mm-hmm. It was called Battleheart. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of it, but I've never played it. You should play I, the no, original wait, wait, Battleheart. Maybe I have. Was that the one with the. Um, God, it had, like, the cute little characters on it, and it's like... Oh. Yes. Yes, okay, I have played that, and I did enjoy it very much. It was basic... It had it had a nice little bit of stylized look to it. Mm-hmm. It ran on my, like, iPod Touch Gen 2 or yeah. something. Yeah. It ran really well, actually. And it worked because the touch controls were fantastic, and yeah. then each of the characters, you know, they had a little mini skill tree, right? You could mm-hmm. choose between the abilities that you wanted, culminating in an ultimate attack. Yes. And you had, like, multiple characters, so there was a rudimentary party-building element. And then every basically it was an arena battler, and yes. your goal was just to survive as long as possible um, and clear out each room. And then when you beat the rooms, you would get treasure, mm-hmm. you would get weapons, uh, you could upgrade your weapons... You would fight bosses and that kind of thing. Um, the the white mage, or the equivalent of the white mage, was quite powerful in that game. Like, maybe overly so, because she yeah. could like, make the whole party ov- uh, invincible for a time. Yes, right. Yes, I remember that very well now. Um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, it was well-suited for mobile, to the point that I re- recall there are quite a few imitators on the market after that. Um, well, Final it- Fantasy IX works on the iPad, right? Oh, yeah, it should. I mean, that's the kind of game you'd play on iPad. Yes, you would definitely... Uh, certain games, uh, RPGs, like, do not work because if you have that squished-up environment, kind of hard to see. That and when I'm looking at my phone, 
Um, sometimes I'll be, sometimes I'll commit to it. Like I read the entirety of, um, Albert Speer's book, oh, yeah. uh, Inside the Third Reich on my phone. <laughs> I've read a few books on the phone, so I know what you mean. I was like literally sitting there squinting at a PDF. Uh-huh. Um, I think I probably set my eyesight back by like 10 years. I'm going to be blind by 60 now <laughs> because I read that book. But other than that, though, like I rarely commit to games on my phone. It's so like quick hit, you know? Yeah. Like maybe it's just a mentality. Could be. Um, I mean, I only started really committing to games on phones once I started writing about them. Mm -hmm. And, but then I started realizing, you know, sometimes that's just what I like to do. Like, I find the uh, iOS adaptation of Secret of Mana, I think it's really well done. Um, really? And, yeah. And part of it is because they kind of guzzied it up a bit. They updated the graphics so it looks more like the modern Mana games. Uh, they, Wait, hmm? does it? But they've ruined the art on four, <laughs> four, five, and six. It looks a little better than that. Um, okay. I'll be honest, I know what you mean. I, I prefer the classic mana art. But uh, these, I don't know, I, I think they redid the sprites so they work better on the phone, too, because they're smaller. But um, okay. they also fixed the uh, the sound so that, you know how in the original game, you like, you know, the sound effects would go over the sound? They don't do that anymore. Mm. And the uh, your friend, your uh, follower AI is far better, although you can't really have a friend join in, so there's that. I never got that far in Secret of Mana. No, I've finished it like 50 million times. I'm ridiculous. Really? Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Um, my main like memory of Secret of Mana was in 1993, I bought a Nintendo Power with Secret of Mana on the cover. Oh, I remember that one. And I read it incessantly, as mm -hmm. I did back in those days, because I was video game crazy. Yeah. And I... I really wanted to play Secret of Mana. It looked really cool. I loved the, the graphics and the art and everything. But obviously, I didn't own a Super Nintendo. So yeah. it was just one of those games that I would look at and dream. It's on Virtual Console. For the Wii, right? Oh, you're right. I don't think it's Wii U. It's ridiculous. I think I even own it. And yeah. You know, if you own a Wii U, you can just go into the Wii, uh, like virtual Wii or whatever, mm -hmm. and just go into the old Wii uh, shop. I know, but I just get angry about how underutilized the virtual console is to begin with. I mean, yeah, but I'm saying that it's not like it's out of reach. It's right there. Oh, no, no, it is. It is right in reach. It's not like the PlayStation 4 where, like, they've oh, cordoned God. off the PS3. That's, like, the one thing that Nintendo actually got right with its online strategy. Yeah. Well, good for them on that front. Exactly. But so, And it's not like it's bad emulation. It's just one extra step, you know? Mm -hmm. and of course, I mean, I got Final Fantasy VI on my Wii U for that reason. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to keep this game on here because it's probably the single best way to play Final Fantasy VI at this point. At this point, yes, because there's the mobile version. Uh, but Which is garbage. Oh, God, it looks so bad. Yeah. Uh, the only really good thing I can say for it is that it uses the Game Boy Advance's translation. Mm. Which, um, I guess it's a point of contention, isn't it? But I, I like that translation because it kind of kept Woolsey's charm, but it fills out a lot of the stuff that got cut from the SNES version. It's a good translation. It is a good translation. I think they, they kept respect for the original while at the same time, uh, filling out a lot of what was missing. Because there was quite a bit missing, and not just because of censorship, but also because it didn't have all that space for the text. 
It also spelled Phoenix, F-E-N-I-X. Oh, God, that was ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how you know you're desperate for space. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, that's kind of the best way. Like, Final Fantasy VI on the GBA, it screwed up the sound. Like, the sound chip yeah, wasn't Yeah, that, that wasn't their fault. They, they did their very best, mm-hmm. but it wasn't... What can you do? I would argue that Final Fantasy V on the GBA is actually the best way to play that game. Yeah, um, again, with Final Fantasy V, it's on Steam now, and as well as mobile, and the same thing with the graphics just being kind of, like, awful. And then Final Fantasy IV Collection for the PSP is the best way to play that game. Yes, that one I have, and I've played it many times. And you can play it on PlayStation TV, it looks good. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Play it on PlayStation TV, you get the updated graphics that aren't ugly. Uh Uh-huh. And... I mean, obviously, like, Final Fantasy IV itself, uh, it still holds up really well, and it's just mm-hmm. a joy to play. And, like, I've played and finished Final Fantasy IV many times, but it's, it was a delight to go back to it, I'm not going to lie. Also, the PSP version uh, includes a lot of the upgrades from the GBA version, which is you can take any party you want to the moon, uh, finish off the mm-hmm. last boss. And you also have the, the extra quests at the end, where you can get each character's ultimate weapon. Uh, and it wasn't buggy like the GBA version. No, the GBA version was a little bit buggy. Um, the GBA version was the first time I beat that game, by the way. Did the bugs help you out at all? Because I found that they helped no. me. Cause no. I, no, I know that it was... Uh, am I wrong in thinking that it was actually easier than the Super Nintendo version, or am I wrong? No, and the reason why I say that specifically is because when I was a kid on the SNES, the stupid trap doors... In the sealed cave used to give me a terrible, terrible day because I had no idea you could use reflect. Um, but on the GBA, I think they moved there a lot slower because I, n- I remember them just not killing me nearly as often. So it, if I have that memory, then I don't think it's a stretch to say that it was a bit easier. So I borrowed a copy of four from a coworker when I was um, working at KFC in 1999. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I was working with a lot of 20-somethings yeah. who like to play video games. That's fun. they had moved on to the PlayStation and were happy to loan out their old Super Nintendo stuff, which is how I got a Super Nintendo in the first place. Oh, cool. Uh, but he loaned me four, and I got pretty far in it, mm-hmm. except that the battery was faulty or something, um, and my game got erased. Oh, that's a shame. My original copy of Final Fantasy VI, uh, I checked on it a little while ago, and... God, all my my whole party was named after Power Rangers. That's how old it was. <laughs> and yeah, it got wiped out. I was so sad. Oh, no, that's too bad. It's yeah. like the Pokemon batteries getting um, erased and people's old parties yeah. going goodbye. How sad. So sad. R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. I don't RPG. know, Tommy and Jason <laughs> and Locke was Tommy. Kimberly. Yeah. Oh, but, good times. So did you ever play The World Ends With You? I did. Um, I, I never finished it, but what I played, I enjoyed very much. That was on the DS. Uh, there's an iOS version that's completely broken. I don't know. Is it know. broken? I uh, really enjoyed the iOS version. It's it's infamous because uh, every time Apple updates the uh, OS for the iPhone, the world ends with you breaks. And um. Square Enix takes a long time fixing it. So I don't even know at this point if it's fixed or not, because it's happened a couple of times. Because I was playing it on my... I have it on my iPad, and I break it out occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it it looks great. Yeah. Like yeah. in HD. And they expanded the soundtrack. And I think that 
the battle system works a lot better without the dual screen aspects. It probably does. I like I said, I meant to. I would have liked to try it, but after everything it started breaking, and it had that reputation for always breaking and Square not fixing it. I kind of decided to stay away. At one point, they just straight out pulled it from the store. I don't know if it's back. I think it is now. Yeah. In any case, I probably wouldn't play Final Fantasy IX on my phone, but I would definitely play it on my iPad, especially if Final Fantasy IX is the, especially if that's the kind of the only way that I have access to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I own Nine anymore because I'm looking up at my shelf and I have Super Robot Wars Alpha, Final Fantasy VIII, and Xenogears sitting up there, but I don't see Nine. Um, maybe it's in my drawer, but. Anyway, for a lot of people, 9 is not super easy to get, and it's kind of the case with Breath of Fire 3 as well, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, if you want to play 9, um, unless you play it on emulation, uh, be prepared to buy a PS2 with RGB cables, um, and then play like PlayStation 2, uh, and then play, um, and then you can play Final Fantasy 9 that way, but yeah. it's not optimal, actually, so... Uh, at this point, maybe playing it on I- iPad is the best way, especially if it turns out to be okay. Yeah, either do that or wait for it to come out on Steam. That should be happening anytime now. That And I will say that it's worth revisiting because, I don't know, I'm kind of hoping that the iOS version and soon the PC version will fix the loading time issues. Uh-huh. I would definitely like to see that. That would be nice. Um, it looks better for sure in the higher res. Um, I don't think they completely up it, but it seems to have been kind of optimized. Yeah, someone mentioned uh, on my US Gamer story how uh, it looks like the character models were up but the backgrounds are still a little bit less resy. <laughs> and beyond that, there's just so much to do in that game. I mean, mm-hmm. between Chocobo Hot and Cold and like playing the card games and, you know, of course, getting to the point of Ozma and getting the Excalibur, like the second Excalibur or whatever. Uh, and as we were allu- discussing in the last episode, Vivi is probably one of the best Final Fantasy characters, maybe even the best Final Fantasy character. So his arc is worth it alone. Yeah, um, I'm hoping I get into that once I get the game because I've always liked Vivi, but oh, I don't know Vivi's a lot about him. Vivi's such a cutie. You don't know a lot about it? God, Nadia, play this game. <laughs> I know, I'm ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to go, like, full-on Final Fantasy IX fangirl and say that it's the best Final Fantasy, because I don't think that it is. Mm-hmm. It's a great, distinct art style and a fantastic story, but I find the the game, the battle system to be a little overly simple. Yeah. And it kind of peters out at the end. And uh, at the time, like, I thought the technical aspects were a big drawback. Yeah, uh, my favorites are four and six, so it has to beat that. And uh, you want to know? Uh, we had a bit of an argument on our Slack channel the other day. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't an argument, but I was surprised. Apparently, it's Jeremy's least favorite Final Fantasy. Really, nine? Yep, nine. Oh, really? I mean, there's I a like, lot of there's a lot a lot of bad Final Fantasies to choose from. <laughs> I was like more so than five, or more so than three. Like uh-huh. you, you dislike it more than three, and he's like, "Oh yeah," and yeah. I was like, "More than two? <laughs> <laughs> more than I mean, that's that's a lot of hate for a Final Fantasy. I mean, just off the top of my head, it's certainly better than thirteen, two, and three. Uh, just like right away. Yeah, even I don't ori- know that I would original- call it better than four, five, six, or and, and then you can get into big debates about seven, eight. 
in 12, but... Yeah, seven's a, seven's a divisive one. At a minimum, it's a mid-tier game, and it sure is a, fa- a favorite for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'd put it. In any case, when it comes out on Steam, um, your first assignment is to play Final Fantasy IX and report back, Nadia. Okay, what are you paying me for it? <laughs> You're part of the staff now, oh, Nadia. Right. <laughs> you belong to us. There's no paying. There's no payment here. I mean, we're gonna give you some video game cartridges, maybe some like sleeping materials, so you can some straw, so that you can sleep in the corner, and then maybe we'll pay your electric bills so that you can play games. But other than that, you just like congratulations. You sold your soul. US Gamer owns you now. Oh boy. I I owe my soul to a lot of people. All right. So for the final segment of this podcast, we're going to do a mailbag question. Last year, I said to everybody, hey, send me in all of your mailbag questions. I want and I gave away a a game as a reward. Um, I have a huge backlog of mailbag questions still. So I'm kind of working through them. And today's mailbag question is from Christian Puente. And Christian Puente asks, what feature from an RPG do you feel could be great for the genre if more games used it? For me personally, I think the random encounter meter and Bravely Default would make RPGs much more accessible to new players. It lets you choose between 0% from when you're in a tight spot and need to reach a town or escape a dungeon, or even go up to 100% if you're trying to do some quick level grinding. Thanks and happy podcasting. <laughs> um, since we were talking about uh, since we were talking about the world ends with you briefly, I think that the ability to play multiple encounters in a row uh, to build up experience quickly is an awesome feature. Um, it goes back to what you were doing when Bravely Default with the sliding scale kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but you could slide up the difficulty really high, and not only was it like a test of skill. Um, and it was fun, but it got you some really great rewards. And I loved that flexibility of uh, The World Ends With You. I think that was probably the best part of its battle system. Yeah, I think in the same vein, uh, any sort of feature that lets you or puts you in more control of how you want to encounter enemies, I'm really okay with that. And surprisingly few games do it. Um Breath of Fire 3, to give you an example, even though you still have to deal with random encounters, like on uh, like dungeons and whatnot, when you're on the map screen, uh, you'll sometimes see a little exclamation mark come over your head when you're walking, and if you want to, you can enter a little area where uh, you will encounter enemies, but if you brave it, you will find usually some sort of item to uh, as a reward for getting out there and uh, killing some enemies. So it's a good incentive. Um, it's not quite as good as the Breath of Fire. Sorry, not Breath of Fire. Uh, it's not quite as good as the uh, Bravely Default slider or the World Ends with You mechanic. But uh, it, it's a start. It's a good. It's a good idea. But like I said, anything that lets you that puts you in control of your encounters, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that was one of the cool things about Earthbound back in the day. Was that yes, exactly. You could scare off enemies if you're at a high enough level, right? Yeah, and you could, uh, if you were high enough and they were, like, facing away from you, like, you wouldn't even enter battle. You would just kill them and get the experience. Just, you get a U1 screen and that's it. That was one of the aspects that really worked well about Earthbound and made it kind of a, a forward-thinking RPG for its day. So what yeah, about really you, Nadia? Mm-hmm. What about you, Nadia? What is the 
what is the one feature that you would take from a particular RPG and spread it across the genre? Like fairy dust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, just the uh, anything that lets you, like even the even the level slider, straight mm. from Bravely Default. Um, I could really handle that in other RPGs. Well, I was just playing something that. Oh right, you played Steam World Heist, right? Oh um, yeah, it's a I, great, I mean, I gave game. that game five stars in my yeah. review and said it was one of my favorite games of the year. It's not an RPG, but it kind of works on the. There's a, a kind of the same concept where you could play easy and not get any extra rewards for it. But if you play harder, you're rewarded like quite nicely for your victory. So um, I don't believe in penalizing people for playing, you know, for making that experience easier for them, but rewarding them for getting through a, a harder experience, sure. So, again, the Bravely Default slider, that's a great idea. Um, yeah. So I'm going to throw out a couple more, just for the heck sure. of it. I love any game where you can capture enemies and put them in your party. Yes, I can deal with See that. See Dragon Quest V. Dragon Quest V, yes. Shimagami Tensei. Mm-hmm. That kind of game. Um, I, and I think Dragon Quest V was especially great in the way that you could talk like the enemies first of all they had names they did so you had like <laughs> and they had wonderful names like gutrude yeah like, for the slime that one yeah. stands out to me gutrude and they would you would talk to them and they would like you could talk to them like with the little party chat mhm and they would just say the funniest things they had such great personalities and so it yeah. was fun to capture your favorite monsters and add them to your party. Like, it was definitely Pokemon before Pokemon. Yeah, it was. Um, although I never finished five because I got, like, so mad because I wanted a great dragon in my party and I can never catch one. <laughs> and since I'm playing Fire Emblem, I'm going to say the ability to choose the character that you like and have a relationship with them in the game I, is an aspect that I really like. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously something that's kind of big in Persona. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you try to, like, date everybody, that game will shame the heck out of you and make you feel so bad and so guilty. Aw. Which is what happened to me. Like, um, I was initially dating short hair, super spunky and fun Persona 4. Yeah, I was dating her. <laughs> <laughs> that nervous And death. then... I started dating the detective instead. And the game gave you a hard time over it? Such a hard time. Oh Aww. my god. She was... I felt like the worst garbage for dumping her. But um, the that character, uh, the detective, reminded me of my first, uh, my first significant other. Aww. So I was like, oh. Um, so it was kind of a throwback. I guess you could say. Uh-huh. And then, of course, Mass Effect allowed you to choose your characters and or choose who you wanted to be with. Yeah. And would, in fact, spin out a storyline from it, which was kind yeah. of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm totally pro uh, more relationships with people just or none if you don't want any. But uh, that was a big appeal of uh, Fire Emblem Awakening for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which character did you end up dating in that game? Gaius. Which I, 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 he's a thief. I have a thing for the Fire Emblem thieves. They're all, but then I got I, then I got kind of sad because I didn't marry Yarn, but I wanted them both. Yarn's the hmm. big bunny guy. 
I'm trying to remember who I ended up marrying in that game. Could you marry um could you marry the main like Marth character? Lucina? Not Lucina, the other one. Oh, Crom. I think so. Crom. I think I married Crom. Oh, good for in you. In fact, I'm almost certain that I married Crom. So Marrying into money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That was a fun so yeah, game. that uh, that is some of the the features that I would like to see in other RPGs. Maybe kind of broad, mm-hmm. but I think that uh, I mean a lot of RPGs have interesting little like ideas to them that tr- would translate well to a lot of other games. Um, if you I'm sure that I'm missing a lot of great RPG ideas or mechanics or whatever that would translate to other games. So if you have any good ideas, you should send them to me over Twitter at usgamernet or the underscore catbot or, I mean, email me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net and I may read your responses and your thoughts on an upcoming episode of the show. And then you'll be immortalized. Exactly. You'll be totally immortal forever. Um, you may or may not be immortal. This yeah, is like... Disclaimer. Disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nadia, what do you work on these days? Uh, in terms of games that I'm playing? Or- um, more like articles. What do you? Is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, let's see. I'm always working on stuff for my original site, tinygirltinygames.com. Cool. Uh, and, of course, I'm working a lot for you as gamer these days. Um I'm actually, uh, I just launched a new column for US Gamer, uh, Note Block Beatbox, which mm. is, I take a piece of game music every week and kind of overanalyze it, as it were, or sometimes just look back at it with nostalgia, uh, because I think game music is cool and important. Yes, I think it is also cool and important, especially in RPGs. Yes, absolutely. So you can look just, forward to a lot of that. What's your favorite RPG soundtrack, like Lightning Round? Oh, geez. Uh, you're going to do this to me, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am. Chrono Trigger, I think. If you absolutely, mm-hmm. if you held a gun to my head and said choose between Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, I'd have to go with Chrono Trigger. It's Note, just... I am actually holding a gun to Nadia's head right now. <laughs> it's coming choose through my right camera. One. <laughs> How about you? Final Fantasy VI. Or... Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the generic um, answer, but... Well, it's a great soundtrack, damn it. No, it totally is. I, I really liked Valkyrie Profiles for a long time, but um, it's it started to sound more generic to me these days. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. was looking for good examples recently, and I was like, oh, like there are a lot of like cool songs, but not as many as I remembered. Yeah. Um, and Persona Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Persona. Persona you know what? I, I I will admit right now I haven't played Persona Four. Uh, I think I know. So ter- I'll just fire myself right now. No, uh, it just I means you I have more it. homework. I know. You know, you're right. Because I think I do have it, but I just haven't played it. Uh, but I will say, I hear, because I listen to RPGGamers.net. I listen to the radio all the time. And what, so I you hear listen Persona. to the competition? <sighs> Nadia, Nadia. Are they competition? I guess. <laughs> They're an RPG podcast, right? I don't listen to the podcast. I listen to their radio, their radio station. What, they have a radio station? They have a radio station. For, oh, that sounds uh, like competition to me. Yeah. <laughs> wow, well, Nadia. I, I just listen to the music, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> but either way, I've heard a lot of Persona 4 music through there, so it's always good. It is always good. Yeah. All right, so 
obviously, uh, you can go check us out over at US Gamer. Subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever your podcasts can be found. Tell your friends and come and listen to us. We are up every week on Friday with a new episode. And that is awesome. Thanks for coming on the show, Nadia. No problem. I'll see you again soon, I'm sure. Yep. And next week, we're going to be talking about Fire Emblem. It's that time. I don't have it yet, but I want it. We've been talking, we've been thinking about this game quite a bit. I did a stream of it yesterday, which you should be able to find on our YouTube channel, um, the archive of it. I played the first six missions so that you can kind of get an idea of the game without any spoilers. Um, Well, not like pretty basic spoilers. It's just the introduction. And I also took a look at like some of the new mechanics, like the castles. So go check that out either on our Twitch channel or over on YouTube. And we are going to like go into a deep dive on this game. Probably going to have Mike on the show because he is playing Birthright. I am playing Conquest. And you're going to be able to see our review next week as well. Mm-hmm. Nadia, so you're going to play Fire Emblem. Which version are you playing, Birthright or Conquest? I can't decide. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess whatever I'm handed, I'll play. <laughs> Here's what I would say. Uh-huh. Um, if you manage to get hold of the special edition and you don't end up investing in both of the... or And you have both of the games handy, mm-hmm. just go with your heart. Yeah, I guess if I'll like... Don't overthink it. I'll, uh, I'll basically put them down and I'll spin around a bunch of times whatever I'm pointing to. But okay, that's good you to can know. read our full review yeah. next week. Yeah. In the meantime, thanks for coming on the show, Nadia. I've been no Cap problem. Daily. And until next week, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>